Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's episode 56. Uh, I'm back with Jimmy, and we also have our newest member of the Kiesa Detoji team, Brandon. So, Brandon, I'll introduce you first. How are you doing today? Welcome to the show. Good, good, good. I'm very excited to be on. Um, this was one of the things that, uh, in particular, drew me back. Uh, it's coming on board the team, so I'm very excited to be on here. Well, we're glad to have you. And Jimmy, uh, I heard you had a special uh, viewing of the match this weekend, so why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, I was lucky enough to be in New York for the weekend, you know, see some folks that I hadn't seen since the pandemic started. And uh, I made my way down to Roma Club, New York, down in the financial district uh, to watch the match. And it was a awesome experience. I've only really seen Roma matches either at the Olympico or just, you know, in my apartment, sipping on a cup of coffee in my pajamas. So this was definitely a nice change of pace to just be around a lot of people who are so passionate about Roma, like all of us. Yeah, it's always a good experience to watch with fellow Romanisti. Uh, I live in the suburbs of New York. I still haven't been down there yet, but uh, hopefully one day I'll get down there and, and get to watch a match. Uh, and, you know, Jimmy picked a good one to, to watch down at Roma Club New York because Roma just rolled over Salernitana, the Serie A new boys, probably the weakest team in Serie A this year based on their roster. So we don't want to get Overly excited, but it was certainly a, a fun match to watch. I ended up watching on delay. I know Bren didn't even get to watch this match. We had family things going on, but I'm glad I waited to watch it on delay because it was a lot of fun, especially in the second half. So I'll just go through some of the key moments and stats. Then uh, the guys and I will break down some of the key talking points. So uh, first half, Roma controlled possession. It looked a lot like Roma of yesteryear, though, where they struggled to break down a provincial side, parking the bus, so to speak. Uh, but in the second half, I don't know what the team talk was like for Mourinho at halftime because Roma came out firing on all cylinders in the second half. It was uh, the captain, Lorenzo Pellegrini, with the goal in the 48th minute, assisted by Matias Vigna. Uh, that was followed up just four minutes later on a lovely team goal by Jordan Veratu. Henrik Mkhitaryan got the primary assist, but we'll talk more about that goal later because that was a real pleasure to watch. Uh, a little bit later in the match, Tammy Abraham opened his Roma scoring account in the 69th minute. 
Sisabar uh, Carlos Perez, another guy who was thought to be maybe on his way out and looked pretty good. Talk about him a little bit more later. And then it was Pellegrini with the brace. He scored his second in the match in the 79th minute. Uh, both Abraham's and Pellegrini's were lovely curling uh, shots. Uh, goalie was caught flat-footed on Pellegrini's second one in the 79th minute, assisted by Vertu. And Roma ran out 4 nothing winners. I mean, they really could have probably won by more. Uh, the, the goalie from uh, Salernitana, I think it was Belich was his name, actually had a couple decent saves to probably keep Roma from scoring five or six goals. Uh, the key stats, I mean, Roma dominated possession 80.3% to 19.7% last I checked in FB reference. Uh, Roma had 28 shots in total, nine on target. They had 10 corners to so just one for Salernitana. The XG, actually, they outperformed their XG by more than two goals because it was only 1.89 to 0.22. Um, that 0.22 for Salernitana was one look that Bonazzoli had that was uh, he missed pretty badly because Rui Patricio did not even have to get his, his mitts dirty in this one. I mean, his goalie gloves, he could just wear them, not even have to wash his uniform probably because uh, Roma was that dominant in possession. So let's get into the match, guys. I mean, the first half, very reminiscent of like Roma of the last 10 years. You come up against like Kievo, Verona, and they just parked the bus and they frustrate the hell out of Roma. Or, you know, it was, I think Crotone was last year's version of that. And it kind of had that feeling in the first half, didn't it, Jim? Yeah, definitely did. It was really frustrating because although I was really happy to be seeing uh, Roma in this new environment, I was also, I brought a friend of mine who normally watches the Premier League uh, to see the match. And he was just so unamused with how much um, they, Salernitana parked the bus. And obviously, whenever a club parks the bus against Roma, it often leads to Roma just looking very frustrated and not really creating any significant chances. And yeah, that first half reminded me way too much of particularly the tail end of the Paolo Fonseca era. Um, I'm happy that that was only the tail of one half. That second half was fantastic and looked way more like what we've seen from the club to start the season. And yeah, just generally speaking, it was a frustrating first half, but at the same time, somewhat expected given what we know about Salernitana. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that, Brandon? Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, watching the first half, I kind of expected us to score at some point. Uh, you know, I was, had obviously no clue when when that point would be, but I think it's still, you know, for me, the honeymoon phase of Mourinho joining in that, like, you know, I'm optimistic that it'll be an improvement on last season. So that is why I thought, okay, we're gonna we're gonna score at some point. Might not be in the first half. Um, but we're, but we're going to get the three points here. And, um, I think, you know, if we still had Fonseca around probably halfway through that first half, I'd have been like, Oh boy, here we go. Um, headed for another nil, nil draw or go down one and have to come back at the end type of situ situation. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely had, it has a different feel with Mourinho, especially because Roma came off a couple matches where they, they scored actually every match they've played so far, the first three between conference league and the Fiorentina match, they've scored two or more goals three times, twice in those matches before this, this four goal output. So the goals have been coming. One guy in particular who's looked really sharp. And I don't know if it's because he missed the Euros. I think, you know, that's a little extra motivation. I think part of it's maturity now that I think he's 26 years old or so. Um, and maybe he's really embraced the captain's armband. Maybe Mourinho's said some words to him that have really built his confidence. But Lorenzo Pellegrini is playing very, very well. I mean, I've always been a fan of his. But even I would have to admit that a couple of years ago, he was, you know, he had a good first season back where he showed some promise. Um, 
And then it was kind of a down season for him. And then he started looking really good again last year, but it was in, you know, you know, starts and stops where he would have a good, couple good matches. Then he would kind of disappear. But I mean, these first four matches, very impressive. He had the brace on Sunday. He scored this past Thursday against Trez Bonsport to open the scoring and get Roma really on the front foot there. So uh, I'll go to you first, Brandon. What do you like about Pellegrini's matches so far this season? Um, well, I think some some good context to throw in here is that me personally, I have been anti Pellegrini for almost his entire tenure uh, at Roma. Just just something about him just wasn't wasn't my thing. But you know, the last four matches um, and you know moments last season, he's he's definitely starting to win me over. Um, I think you know it's it's clear to see that he's truly embraced you know the captaincy um, after taking over from uh, Jekko last year. So I think he's just really, you know, starting to come into his own and it's been great to see. And, you know, I, I hope, you know, Roma keep um, getting the benefit of that. Yeah. What about you, Jim? Well, Brandon's definitely not unique among <laughs> uh, Roma fans pretty much everywhere uh, when it comes to his view or maybe his prior view, depending on how the season pans out um, on Pellegrini. I've always been more of a fan of his play um, than I think a lot of Romanisti, uh, in part almost as a uh, defensive reaction to what I felt was a lot of people trying to put him at age 21, 22, and compare him to the world-class seasons of Francesco Totti or Daniel De Rossi. That's just not fair to a player who's that young, at least in my opinion. Um, he only actually turned 25 in June. Uh, so he's even younger than Steven was saying uh, before. 25. Yeah. And if you think about it for a player at that age, like this is when you start getting to your peak, like players peaking in their early twenties, especially in a midfield role doesn't always happen. And I don't think it typically happens. Like the people that we think of who explode like that are players who are just Pogba's and things like that players that would never be in Roma's sites to begin with um as for how he's performed to start the season it definitely seems like Mourinho seized on him as a player that he could mold into what he wants in that attacking midfielder role um he's been praising him pretty much non-stop in all of his uh press conferences saying like basically trying like almost jokingly using the press conference after the Salernitana match to say um Tiago Pinto you need to renew him immediately renew him today or tomorrow depending on you know international break stuff um so it's obvious that Mourinho has taken a huge liking to him but even beyond that I do agree with Brandon that at least to date this season the consistency that I wish that he had shown last season has appeared um, there hasn't been, in my opinion, even like one mediocre match from him so far. And that's pretty significant to me because other than Henrik Mkhitaryan, we haven't really had too many consistently great midfielders in the past couple seasons. Um, basically since that D DDR, Strutman, Nangolin core kind of fell apart. Uh, and it's really reassuring to see players like Jordan Veratu, Lorenzo Pellegrini, and Mkhitaryan kind of still show their stuff and show it on a more consistent night by night basis um, so far in this early season. Yeah, definitely encouraging. I, and I wonder in part if like as much as it sucked for him to miss the Euros because he had that minor injury, if maybe that 
has motivated him even more. And maybe he comes in even fitter than he would have been if he had to play six, seven matches in a season. Cause you know, the health was a little bit of an issue for him. Um, you mentioned Vera too, and he's off to a blistering start too. I mean, he's got three goals now uh, to, to open the season too, because he scored a lovely team goal. I Rome actually posted a video on Twitter. Uh, it was either earlier today or late yesterday. And there was actually 18 touches in that sequence to start it. And, you know, I noticed Tammy Abraham had a, a beautiful touch to lay the ball off to Mkhitaryan, who timed his pass perfect on Vertu's run. But what I didn't notice until I watched the, the clip a couple times um, in the past couple of days is that Abraham actually was way out wide on the left early in the sequence, got the ball, beat someone with the ball, uh, and then he switched the ball back toward the middle of the field. And then he immediately ran to the, you know, inside the 18 to be in position for that layoff. So, I mean, the, the sequence of the goal was beautiful. It's probably one of the best team goals Roma scored in recent memory. I mean, what did you think when you saw that goal, Brandon? Um, so, you know, similarly to my stance on Pellegrini, I was a little hesitant on Abraham coming in um, just in terms of like, of, if I had my pick of, you know, backup one away strikers, I wouldn't have picked him, but uh, you know, in the span of what, two, three games, he's already won me over completely um and you know it that that team goal best like sums it up um you know writing writing the the match recap that was one of the the points you know that I really enjoyed writing about just because you know re-watching it a couple times you can see all the moving pieces and you know Abraham being at the forefront of that was really cool to see um and you know um his actions and that it was really cool to see later on, you know, him get his own goal um, and kind of, you know, put a, put a cap on um, his performance. Yeah. Jim, what, what do you make of uh, the Vertu goal? And then we could even get into Abraham's influence too, since we got into that a little bit already. Yeah. I guess I can talk about both of those at once. Um, first of all, I got to say that after such a kind of frustrating first half, it was really nice that not only did Roma get scads of goals in that second half, they got some really sexy goals too. Um, like that Veritu goal with 18 touches leading down to leading to it was fantastic. Tammy Abraham's goal was just shot so beautifully. Um, like I, I watched the highlight reel of that one more than a couple times just because of how enjoyable it was to see that placed pretty much perfectly. Um, but as for Veritu himself, I got to say that uh, I appreciated his worth um, prior to the past couple weeks, um, but I didn't necessarily see him as as much of a long term piece for Roma. I thought that he was a great player who fit tactically with what Fonseca wanted, but I didn't know if he would be a great fit for um, Mourinho. And I don't didn't know how I, I figured that Roma would at some point buy a young player who would basically take his spot in the starting eleven. Um, he was good, but not great in my eyes. And seeing his involvement both in his three goals, but just generally in the midfield over the course of the young season has been great. And as much as Abraham has been a fantastic breath of fresh air, um, providing a lot of creativity and pulling defenders away in the final third, um, Veritu has also done a fantastic job of creating moments um, where goals can happen that I don't think would normally be goals. I don't, I don't think we'd normally get goals in some of these instances where Veritu just opens the game up. Um, and also just looking at that replay right now, this, the, the moment that he gets there is just 
perfect. Like it, it, everything just clicks. And that's honestly been the best part of seeing this Salernitana match for me. Just things felt like they clicked in re a really nice way. And granted, it's against a team I think will probably be 20th in the league. But you got to win the matches that are handed, handed to you. So I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, and, and the 20th place teams, like we said, have given us plenty of problems in the past. So, you know, you can't yeah. just overlook oh, it and say, oh, time. 20th. Yeah, <laughs> can't just say, oh, 20th place. Like the beginning of last season, I remember Sean and I were talking uh, like about halfway through the season. We were shocked that Roma was like unbeaten against those bottom say seven or eight clubs because Roma's had issues with them for so long and then we know what happened in the second half of the season not only did Roma start dropping points against the big boys but also against the Crotonis of the world um, but yeah I mean Veritu's influence has been very strong those runs that he he timed so well are going to be so crucial for Roma this season I think especially because we're going to plan the counterattack a lot more than we did in this match you know that this match was kind of the not the norm for the way this team has been set up I feel uh, we saw it against Fiorentina and against Trabzons where we're going to try to play in the break a lot more. And Vertu so, so vital in that role. And Abraham, I mean, I didn't know much about him. You know, it was kind of like an exciting name. Oh, we're getting this guy from Chelsea. I know he's, he, we, we talked about his numbers. He had some pretty decent seasons, um, you know, on loan in the championship and for Chelsea. But the more I watch him, I, like Brandon said, I'm completely sold on him. I mean, the, the hustle, the, the technique he's got for a guy who's well over six feet, a bit lanky, but he's got good ball skills. You know, he dribbles, he's beating guys on the dribble. He works back. He's a couple times in the match, even in a match where Roma controlled a lot of possession, he tracked back once or twice to, to intercept a pass. So can't say enough about him. And he, he gets the balls in the air and it's just a, such a completely different dynamic from what Jekyll provided, especially in a match like this, where we were kind of slow and lumbering with our passes in the first half if we didn't have these kind of Abrahams and these Veratus, it's a lot harder to break down these kind of teams, especially with, I felt, Zaniolo out. Because Zaniolo was the guy last season that we said so often was kind of the missing piece and breaking open some of these matches where he could just run at a defense like a, a, a freight train in some instances and just un, unfurl a shot uh, where some other guys weren't doing that. But uh, they didn't miss Zaniolo at all this match. And that was, that was you know, kind of a relief to see um and a, a big reason why was Carlos Pettis showed up and he showed up pretty big in this match I mean he's kind of a guy that a lot of people thought would be out the door uh maybe he wanted out the door himself before Mourinho arrived and it seems like him and Mourinho have struck up a good rapport so far and Pettis I actually included him in our Sinners and Saints uh as a saint because you know he didn't score a goal himself but he had an assist he was active uh he was taking players on in the first half he was probably one of the more active players I'd say um because Roma was a bit slow with their, their movement and their passing. And he looked very motivated and, you know, we don't need him to be a superstar, but if he's a guy that can just kind of push on Yolo to get better and give him a little competition, all the better, I think. Um, but, but I was pretty impressed with him. What about you, Jim? Yeah, I was going to say, I think that some people need to slow their role on the Carlos Perez hype train just a little bit. Um, I was seeing tweets um, on Roma Twitter where it was like, uh, Zaniolo, He's, he's going to be sweating for a starting job. It's like, okay, slow down a little bit. Um, that was against 20th place Salernitana, like relax. Um, but at the same time, I think that one of the things that has consistently been a problem for the Jalorossi has been that finding depth isn't always easy. Um, it's a whole lot easier to sell a guy on being a backup for a super club than it is to sell them to be a backup for Roma who can't consistently get to the Champions League. Like at least if you're a backup for Real Madrid, you know you're playing in the Champions League every every year. 
With Roma, you really don't. And so that's why you see a lot of these players who get shuffled to the bench for a bit request to transfer out. Um, to see Perez succeed is great because he definitely had a hit or miss first, I guess, year and a half um, with the Gelo Rossi. I hope that he's able to provide the depth necessary for Zaniolo to slowly come back from his injury. That is where I think that his, he needs to have the most free reign. Like we, even though Zaniolo wasn't supposed to be playing the Salernitana match um, because of the suspension, he probably, if he was going to play, he shouldn't be playing like three matches, four matches in a row. At least I don't think so while he's trying to get back from these two ACL tears. So having a player who you can put in and who isn't just like a black hole at right wing and is quite the opposite, like a good rotational piece. That's pretty much exactly what you should want if you're Nicolo Zaniolo, if you're Jose Mourinho, or if you're Carlos Perez. He's they're gonna he's gonna get his chances, which is important. Yeah, what do you think, Brandon? Yeah, um, you know, I agree with uh, the points that both of you brought up. I think that um, for me, he was definitely one of the he's he's a player that caught my eye the most, especially in the first half. Um, and flashes in the second before, you know, he came off. Um, but I think it's really cool to see. Um, I think, um, you know, under Mourinho, at least from my perspective, it seems, you know, he's he's more, he's looking to make that incisive pass more so than he was previously when he was continuously trying to beat his man um, and go all the way himself. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely noticed him looking for Abraham, which was great, you know, for both of them, um, Abraham to, you know, get that service and um, Perez to, to do his thing and find that and pick out that pass. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, building off, you know, the Mourinho aspect, I, it's very clear that, you know, the, the two of them are sharing some sort of rapport, which is really cool to see. And, um, you know, especially for, um, you know, a bench player um, for Mourinho to take that interest in him and kind of, you know, groom him um to be what he wants him to be going forward yeah and i think you made a good point about making the incisive pass because that was something we didn't see much from him in his first 18 months or so in the capital he was really a guy who was a shoot first kind of player would put his head down and dribble um it kind of reminded me of like a poor man's uh <clears throat> um he has a little bit in that sense where he's yeah. a little more <laughs> likely to, to to unfurl the shot even if it's not a great shot rather than look for a pass and uh he's starting to pass more which is encouraging because he did have the assist on uh tammy abraham's goal um talking about passing i i put over here cristante on our uh, agenda and in, in regista in quotations because the whole mercato we heard about you know marino needs that regista type defensive midfielder someone who can sit back distribute you know win back balls um that that player didn't come you know in, in the traditional mold in the window but looking at cristante's numbers i mean he pretty much is probably the guy that's being I guess, groomed for that role right now by Mourinho. We've seen him do plenty of things in his Roma career. You know, he came over from Atalanta as like a 10 goal scoring uh, attacking midfielder, kind of like the Vertu role where he would make those late runs for Atalanta, score goals. Then we saw him have to play with Steven and Zonzi and that didn't work well because it was a bit of a slow pairing and we, we know Zonzi didn't work out well and he's, you know, we'll talk about him later. But, um, and then last year playing as a third center back and, you know, the, the kind of libero role. And, you know, on Sunday I was looking at his numbers and, pretty impressive you know 118 touches led the team the only guys that came anywhere near him were the two center backs Ibanez and Mancini when Rome would knock it around the back a little bit to reset the play um 
and there was a couple other numbers I saw. He completed 101 of his 110 passes, almost 92%. Um, and then there was also his progressive carries led the team with 14 progressive carries on 88 carries. Not something you expect Cristante to do, bringing the ball up like that. And uh, defensively, he won back. Let me see. He had 11 ball recoveries, which was second on the side behind only Karsdorp. So, I mean, he had another strong, strong match. Yeah, it's not, you know, Inter running at him or Milan's attack or any of these other bigger clubs everyone was going to come up against or Saudi ball or anything like that. But, you know, can he fill that role, do you think, Brandon? Do you think he's got what it takes to kind of be Roma's, I guess, defensive midfield regista type player, at least until the next Mercato? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, um, especially over the last year or so, when, you know, he's in the, the 11, um, become very comfortable with what type of performance that he's going to bring. Um, and, you know, that's, that's evidenced by, you know, him, him having a spot on Italy's roster for the Euros. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm very comfortable with what he brings to the, to the field, both, you know, in terms of play and, you know, his leadership qualities and things like that. Um, and that's kind of why I didn't really ever understand, you know, Mourinho's burning desire to bring in another defensive midfielder, just, you know, um, I, from my perspective, I thought Cristante was a perfectly, you know, good person to pair with Veratut in that midfield. Um, so, you know, I think ultimately Mourinho will get exactly who he wants. Uh, but I think for the time being, Cristante is more than capable to, to fill that role. Yeah. And when you see some of the names that moved on the market too, like Anguissa at the pricey moving coupe miners, like you wonder if those names were really names Roma was really pursuing because at that price, you figure Roma would have tried to make a move for at least one of them. But right. um, Jim, I know that you're a big fan of Cristante. So what, what have you made of him so far in that role? Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily think that the Regista role is like Cristante's natural role. And I, I think that what we saw of him at Atlanta and what we've seen from him when he's able to move more forward um, and score the goals like he did, um, I think it was, was it against Trebzonspor? Yeah, it was against yeah. Trebzonspor. Um, that is, I think, probably what he feels is his more natural role. But at least compared to being a third center back, I think that this is definitely a better fit for him than that. And in terms of him being a long-term solution of a pairing with Vera 2, I think you could be doing a whole lot worse um, than an Italy international who seems to be pretty determined to, to do as good a job as he can, no matter what the manager tells him to do. Like, you're not going to be able to have superstars at every single position. Um, and having a player like Cristante on the field usually doesn't hurt you too much, um, unless you're really playing them out of position. Um, which I think happened with him as a, more of a center back. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know if he's the long-term solution at Regista, um, unless Mourinho just decides that one of his projects for the season is to mold Cristante into that type of player. And Cristante is, like, is relatively young enough that that could happen too. Cristante is only 26. So there's definitely time and space for him to turn into a different type of player over the course of even this season. Um, but I hope that he gets more of a chance to keep on, you know, bombing up sometimes when, like we saw on Trebzon Sport too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you guys are right. We could do a lot worse than having a guy who is an inter Italy international who's played multiple roles, who's always a willing uh, participant, whatever role the manager puts him at, you know, whether it's in his more natural role uh, or if it's, you know, a completely improvised role, like we saw last year, he is the ultimate team player. His leadership is evident on the pitch. 
I mean, Mourinho clearly values those kind of leaders, the Pellegrinis of the world and the Cristantes and the Mancinis growing into that role. And uh, yeah, I mean, the one thing we have said on the site, on the podcast is don't go and spend 30 million euros for a guy just to say we bought a defensive midfielder. I saw Oliveira was uh, linked with Roma this morning from Porto. And, you know, people are saying, well, this guy's almost 30 years old and they're ready to drop all this money on him. And luckily it didn't happen. Um, and I think it's a good thing because, you know, right now, you know, it might come back to bite us. Maybe it doesn't work out, but at least I think giving this a shot with players that we have on the team is better than just spending, like I said, 20, 30 million euros. And then it turns into another bust. And then you're, you're really stuck between a rock and a hard place and you're back to where Roma was at the beginning of this Mercato. So yeah, Cristante has been impressive so far. I think he's got a few more weeks to really build into the role before the big matches roll around. And I think, you know, a pairing of him in there too, you could do a lot worse in, in the midfield. Uh, another pairing that was, you know, getting a lot of flack the first three matches or so were the fullbacks, Ricardsdor, Matias Vina, both, you know, Vina's only, you know, let's say only his second match in Serie A, only his fourth match playing European football. Uh, Karsdorp though, coming off a strong season was even probably a little more disappointing, but those two guys really showed up on Sunday. Um, a lot less pressure to defend in this match for them. And there were a couple of chances where Karsdorp kind of got lucky. There was the one where he got, uh, fouls by, I think it was Bonazzoli out in the left, uh, where Bonazzoli kind of would have been off to the races against the full, uh, the center backs, but you know, all in all, Vigna had an assist. I believe Karsdorp also got credited with an assist, if I remember correctly. No, he didn't get an assist, but he was involved in one of the goals, the, the team goal. Um, but improvements, for sure. So, uh, Jim, I'll go to you first this time. What did you make of the fullbacks on Sunday? Yeah, my grading curve for Vigna is going to be a whole lot nicer than it is for Karsdorp, <laughs> just because Karsdorp has always been playing in European football one and has been around Rome for far longer um than Vigna who you know didn't get a full training preseason and has only played four matches um anywhere other than South America so for Vigna I expected you know it would take a while for him to gel in this left back role um but that's kind of what you're getting when you spend what was it like around somewhere between 11 and 13 million euros on a promising player from a different country you're not buying a player who will just like gel in at that exact moment um and i think that Thiago pinto probably felt like he could afford to do that given that spinazzola is you know still on the team albeit not playing like worst case scenario if this guy's a flop you can probably still sell him for around that value and still have spinazzola um and calafiori with Karsdorp, though i'll be honest and say that was his performance against salernitana better than some of his other performances to start the season? Yes, but I think a lot of that, at least from my point of view, came down to the fact that he really had very limited defensive role, had very little to do defensively. Um, I think, Stephen, it was you who did that analysis of Vigna and said that Vigna might be offering a more balanced role at left back than Spinazzola did, um, which could allow Karsdorp to be a more attacking option. But at the same time, I do want to see, you know, more defensive competence from Karsdorp. And out of anyone on the team in the, who's consistently starting, um, I have to say that he hasn't impressed me like more, like he's probably at the bottom of my list of people who have not impressed me who are in that starting 11 so to start the season. Um, there's obviously plenty of time for him to do better. Um, and I do think that he did far better against Salernitana than he did 
um, in other matches, particularly. I didn't find him very impressive against Fiorentina, for example. Um, so there's definitely time for him to improve. But out of everyone to start the season, he definitely hasn't been my favorite. And I hope he proves me wrong sooner rather than later. Yeah, what do you think, Brandon? Yeah, I think um, for me, Vigne, you know, uh, kind of going off what we were talking about with, you know, you could do a lot worse than Cristante. Um, you can do a lot worse than Vigne as your backup left back. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed what I saw defensively and going forward from him. I think, you know, Spinazzola, you know, went, went nuts during the Euros and had an insane performance until he got hurt. I think Vigne is not close to that, but I think Vigne is closer than people may give him credit for to uh, the Spinazzola pre-Euros. Um, in terms of what he could bring to the table. Um, so I've really enjoyed what he's seen thus far. And in terms of Karsdorp, I don't know, you know, this this could tie into what Jim was saying about how he grades Karsdorp on a, on a steeper curve because he's been here longer. But, you know, I think for me, um, I definitely noticed Vigna more in the match than Karsdorp um, is probably the best way I can summarize, you know, his overall performance this season, obviously it's been better than the previous two matches, but I think overall he's still, I think that he's still not um, close to what he was doing towards the end of last season or the majority of last season, even um, when I felt really comfortable about that right back spot. Um, but yeah, Vina, very impressive. Uh, love him as a backup to, to cars thus far. Yeah. And it's interesting. You said that about, you noticed, you know, Karzorp less in the match, and I agree because Vina was more impactful, it seemed, when he, you know, he hit that post early in the match. They almost broke up open the scoring actually really early for Roma, even though they did struggle scoring the first half. He hit, hit the post, I think, like five minutes in. And it's funny because I was looking at the numbers just now, the touches, and Karzorp actually had 31 more touches than Vina, 97 to 66. But it seems like the touches Vina had, uh, you they just stood out to you more. Like, he was more impactful with those touches. Definitely. Um, you know, Karzorp had, I think, seven, like, um, passes into the final third or one of those stats. I forget which one it was, but none of it really stood out to you much. It's, it's interesting. And maybe we do, you know, grade him harsher, maybe because he did impress last year, but uh, I agree with Vina. I think Vina and I said it when, you know, I put in that piece when uh, they bought him, I think he's going to be a fine player for Roma, even if it's just as a, a rotation piece, once Spinazzola comes back, because, you're talking about a guy who starts for Uruguay, which is a pretty defensively sound national team. He played at one of the biggest clubs in Brazil and he's young, improving player. So I think he'll come good. And we've seen gradual improvements through the first four matches. And, you know, we'll see when he comes up against Saudi ball in week six or seven, whenever everyone plays them or, you know, Inter shortly after that, whoever it is on the schedule, we'll see if he's up to, you know, up to snuff and said, yeah, yet, but I think he'll get to that level if he's not there yet. Um, speaking of the, the defense though, you know, Another clean sheet. That's two in a row for Roma. And this has been without Chris Smalling. It's been uh, Mancini Nibanez, the first four matches, which is my preferred pairing just from a potential standpoint, because I really like the potential they have together. I mean, Ibanez looks like the player that we thought he could become in, in bits and pieces last year and flashes over the last year and a little bit when he started to get more playing time, like during, right after COVID. Um, but, you know, he had those moments where he would just have like a complete brain freeze or he would just make a complete bad read I mean he looks like a man possessed under Mourinho I think Ibanez and Mancini could be two of the biggest beneficiaries of this this signing of Mourinho as a coach because 
you know, they're both young, talented defenders. You know, they can both play on the ball, which is important. I mean, they both had over a hundred touches in this match. Not, not surprising considering Roma had so much of the ball, but they can distribute the ball too. They can carry the ball. I mean, Mancini had seven progressive carries. Ibanez 11. That means they had to carry the ball um, at least five yards forward into the opposing, you know, realm. So it's not like a huge number, but a lot of center backs like to just get rid of the ball quickly. I mean, Mancini carried the ball 71 times. Ibanez 86. Uh, Ibanez carried the ball for over 500 yards, which is quite a bit for a center back in this match. And plenty of ball recoveries too, which is their main job, even though, Roma didn't have to defend a whole ton. Um, Mancini, 10 recoveries, uh, seven of those clearances. So they were alert when they had to be on defense, which is important because sometimes you get kind of lulled to sleep in these matches as as a center back, especially a younger guy. You might lose concentration. Maybe you get caught out because your team has so much possession. You just start moving the ball up the pitch. Um, But impressive, again, from the two of them. Like I said, not much defending had to be done. But, I mean, I I really like this Mancini-Banias partnership. What about you? I'll go to you first, Jim. Yeah, I definitely like them as a pairing. I still believe that center back might be the spot where we have the most depth of quality players right now. Um, because as much as I, as I agree with you that ad, as of this point, um, the Mancini-Ibanez CB pairing is like my favorite out of what we can offer. It's not like Chris Smalling is a slouch when he's healthy. And I, I mean, I know that he sometimes gets a good amount of stick, but I think Max Kumbula has shown shades of becoming a player very quickly who can be a very consistent, calm center back, kind of even though Ibanya has, has made fewer kind of hothead mistakes so far this season, uh, kind of a ice to that type of player's fire, which you need. Like when we had Medi Benatia back way back when, the only reason why Benatia was able to find success was because we had Leandro Castan pairing him there. And I think that having that type of player in the wings um, to pair with Ibanez, say if Mancini gets injured, for example, um, is excellent. Having that type of young prospect who obviously has what it takes to long-term become a starter for Roma is a fantastic luxury. Um, I also think that a lot of the credit, except maybe not for the Salernitana match because of how poor Salernitana attacked but just more broadly speaking I think that a lot of the defensive integrity that we've seen so far for Roma does come down to Rui Patricio um as much as you could say that Mourinho is the perfect manager to turn Mancini and Ibanez into complete players as they develop I think that we often really underestimate how symbiotic the relationship is between goalkeeper and center back and to a certain extent, fullbacks as well. Um, I would say that having a keeper like Paul Lopez between the sticks doesn't inspire confidence for the center backs that, Oh, even if I make a mistake, someone will be there and vice versa for a, for a goalkeeper with what seemed like mentality issues in Rome, uh, having a young center back pairing there, probably wasn't the most reassuring thing either. Either So having Rui Patricio there now, I think is providing a little bit more calm between the sticks in a Morgan de Sanctis type way. And I, th- I, I mean, I think that the best case scenario for him as a transfer has always been a rich man's Morgan de Sanctis. And I think that we're seeing that so far, which is exciting too. Yeah, Brandon, what do you make of uh, Mancini and Ibanez? And is that who you would like to see going forward or do you want to see Smalling back in there? 
Um, yeah, I absolutely adore the pairing of uh, Mancini and Abanez. I think if you, you know, when Mourinho was announced, if you asked me, um, you know, who, who on the squad um, is most likely to run through a wall for Mourinho, Mer uh, Mancini and Abanez probably would have been 1A, 1B. And I think that, you know, there, there are hints of it already that, you know, they've, they've fully bought in um, to what Mourinho's saying to them. Um, yeah, I saw a, a clip on Twitter today of um, during the game, uh, Mancini slapping um, Mourinho on the chest and Mourinho just eating it up. Um, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited to see um, how they develop over the course of the season. Um, as for Smalling, I don't know how he gets back in the team or in the starting 11. Um, just because, you know, Mancini and Abanias thus far have been doing um, really well. Um, they both seem like they're going to be Mourinho guys. And, you know, um, you know, there, there, there are reports of, you know, Smalling looking to get out of Rome when Mourinho was first brought on. So you, so you, 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 you think about, you know, their potential history or their, their former history and how that'll impact them going forward. I think, you know, if you, if you um, bring that into account with the form of Abanez and uh, Mancini, um, I'm not sure when Smalling will get his shot to get back into the 11. Um, but, you know, until then, I'm, I'm very, very excited at the potential of uh, Mancini and Abanez over the course of the season. Yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be hard for him to get back into the starting 11 on a regular basis if, if these two keep playing the way they are. Um, I, and one other stat to throw out there, I, I was going through while you guys were talking, the long ball rate that these guys can complete from the back is so big, especially when Roma starts playing more on the counterattack like we expect them to do most matches. I mean, Ibanez was 22 of 25 with his long balls, which is 30 or more yards on a pass, and Mancini 11 of 16. Ibanez completed 96 out of 100 passes, and Mancini was 75 out of 85. So very efficient from the back when you're trying to either spring counterattacks or build from the back or do different things. So very impressive. So, yes, Mullen might have to start out in the Conference League and, and kind of work his way back slowly at this rate. Um, you know, between the clean sheets and the goals that keep on coming, 12 in four matches for Roma now, seven in two league matches. Um, do you guys think the international break hurts Roma's momentum? Do you think it doesn't matter? I mean, everybody's got to go on the break. Is it going to be a detriment? Um, what do you, I'll go to you first, Brandon. Uh, well, I absolutely despise the international break. <laughs> uh, I feel like it always comes uh, when Roma are, are on a good run of form. And then as soon as we get back, uh, it comes crashing down. Um, but, you know, I know it's, I know it's a necessary evil and the international game is important and all that. So um, we'll only complain minimally, but yeah, I think, I think, you know, the momentum that we built up uh, that this cannot have come at a worse time. Um, I think, I think luckily for, for the squad um, up until I think the Lazio game, but uh, what is it like two, three matches until then um, it's a relatively soft schedule. So I think uh, the opportunity is there to, you know, ride that momentum through those games and, you know, hit that crescendo going into the, um, into the Lazio game. Um, so, yeah, I, I think ultimately it's not going to, to, um, to be to our detriment too much just because of that, that little, that soft schedule before the big game. 
Yeah, before I go to you, Jim, I'll just bring up the matches. So Brandon referenced the schedule. We have uh, Sassuolo the weekend after the international break, weekend of September 11th and 12th. Um, then they have Hellas Verona the weekend of the 18th and 19th. And then they have a midweek match against Udinese before uh, Lazio comes at the end of the month. So three matches before then, all winnable matches for sure. So Jim, what do you think about the momentum factor here? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a major issue. I think that a lot of these players that we've talked about as having excellent seasons to date, like Pellegrini, like Veratu, um, and, and Zaniolo. I mean, I think Zaniolo has impressed when he's played and wasn't in his own head um, against Fiorentina. Uh, so when those players are playing well, they need to get the positive reinforcement of winning, obviously, with the club. But for a guy like Veratu in particular, getting called up by the, the French national team, that's like a huge life moment for him. Mm-hmm. And that's, and same with um, Pellegrini, like getting back from that injury and hopefully setting himself up to be a part of the World Cup squad. Things like that really matter to these guys. Um, and so I think that it's almost even better for them to have the break now because they've shown that they can play well and they're getting positive reinforcement from someone outside of the club. Um, for that. Of course, there's the chance that injuries happen. And I hate it. You hate it. Everybody hates it when a Roma player goes down injured on international break. And it always seems to happen way more to us than any other club. Given that, until that changes, until they change the structure of how international breaks work, I do think that it's actually a positive for some of these players to go back, go back, play with their country and, you know, feel valued on a national level that their work is, you know, being noticed. Yeah. Um, in terms of momentum, I think Roma will be okay because, you know, I think Mourinho has them in the right spot and, you know, everybody has to go on a break. So even, you know, Saudi's Lazio scored six goals this week. Guess what? Most of those guys are going on international break too. Um, the one thing I do worry about is injuries. Of course, you know, it's just about a year to the day that Zaniolo got hurt during the international break in September last year in not even a world cup qualifier. I mean, at least these are world cup qualifiers. That was the conference league when he, uh, blew out his, his ACL before Roma even played a match last season because the season started a little bit later because the pandemic, um, you know, changes the schedule. But uh, yeah, I think for some of these guys, like you mentioned, Ver too, it's, it's a it's a big life moment. He's finally got his first senior call up to the French national team, reinforces what he's doing with Roma. Pellegrini, we talked about his motivation, a guy like Mancini who just missed out. He's one of the last cuts for Italy. You know, normally I'd be a lot more excited to watch Italy play World Cup qualifiers as, as an Azuri fan, especially with them coming off of a Euro victory. But you know, with the way Roma's playing, it's a little less exciting because Roma's been so good and we've actually had plenty of fun watching them so far. But, you know, hopefully Italy takes care of business and everybody between the four Italian call-ups and, uh, you know, Mkhitaryan with Armenia and all these other guys come back in full fitness, you know, not worn down, you know. Um, I don't worry so much about the Italian players for Roma actually, like, having to play three matches because most of them are going to be rotation players, I think, for Mancini at this point. But, like, a Mkhitaryan who probably starts every match for Armenia and some of these guys you you worry about maybe uh, being overworked in a short spell. But other than that, I think they'll be okay, um, you know, in, in a couple of weeks. Hopefully we'll have a couple more wins to talk about. But before we get into our second part of the show, which will be a short breakdown of the last-minute transfers, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Okay, we're back. Uh, we're just about finished with this episode. But before we close, you know, we've, we're done with Salerno Tana. We do have to mention some last-minute transfers that went through. Roma didn't bring in anybody. Um, to close out the window, we mentioned the, the defensive midfielder that everybody was talking about since, you know, Xhaka was linked with Roma way back in July, uh, never materialized, but uh, plenty of outgoing transfers to close the market. I mean, we had a couple of just younger Primavera type players go out on loan. Chiervo went out on loan to Sampdoria with a option to buy and a 
counter option for Roma to bring him back if they so choose at some point. Don't know what the figures are there, but uh, he's a guy that did play with the the first team in the the uh, summer friendly. So clearly Roma has something there that they you know at least held on to that counter option in case he does come good at Sampdoria. Uh, David Boa goes back out on loan again to a lower division side. Bamba, another you know Primavera type player, goes out on loan. Um, from all the reports we've seen. Uh, Robin Olsen is on loan to Sheffield United. Nothing official from the club, either club at this point, but I think the market in England closes a little bit later. So there's still time for that. It seemed like everything was agreed to. Um, but the big news was yesterday. We're recording on Tuesday. Yesterday on Monday was uh, the, the, I guess, transfer out that everybody wanted, but I don't think anybody expected to happen because of the way it played out. We talked about him last week. Javier Pastore agreed to a mutual uh uh, rescinding of the contract and uh, he got a little bit of a bonus sheet i believe on the way out it, it was a couple million euros but uh roma rids itself of one of the biggest albatross contracts in Serie A in the past you know number of years that and i can recall or probably anybody can you know compare it to so uh brandon were you surprised by that the exit yesterday um as uh one of Pastore's biggest haters um I, I I didn't expect that I thought he was going to be at the club for as long as I live and uh I would never see the end of his time at Roma but so yeah it, it was a surprise um you know from from what we had been hearing he was you know refusing or he just you know hadn't found a club to go to um and the whole you know grilling saga and the PSG trip saga. Um, I just, you know, I thought that just that nonsense was just going to continue um, for the rest of time. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's so very important that we got off that, that huge, um, that huge um, uh, th- uh, number on our wages. Sorry. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, disappointed that we couldn't get rid of all the deadwood mainly in Zonzi, Fazio, Santon um but I think you know for Pastore, Pastore alone considering how much he was costing Roma um you know you have to give your props to Diego Pinto yeah I mean Pinto has to be given props he cleared a lot of salary out uh especially Pastore's that you know uh, we'll go through a list after I, I'll get Jimmy, I'll get your take on the Pasote. Were you surprised that this actually happened? I mean, we, we know we all wanted him gone, but for it to actually happen. Yeah. I mean, whenever I read interviews from Pastore, but she did do a couple while he was, you know, in this kind of no man's land of obviously not being wanted by the club, but not having an alternative or just leaving. Um, it never really felt to me like he was stuck in the same way that other players feel stuck, like Steven and Zonzi, who just doesn't want to seem to go anywhere, even for more money. Um, he basically said, you know, COVID and the combination of COVID and my injury issues have made it harder for me to find another club. Um, simple as that. And do I wish he didn't go like to that PSG match? hundred percent. But at the same time, uh, I don't know. It never felt to me as vindictive that he was just sticking around um and i do agree with what brent has been saying recently that you know the people who gave him the contract to begin with were roma albeit they've all been fired now but um and maybe that's an indicator of something but at the same time you know it's you can't blame him for taking the contract and now he's gone and i'm happy that he's gone he's no longer an issue for our wages 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy it's gone. I'm not too surprised because out of all of them, it did seem like he would be the more eager one to go leave and, you know, play somewhere. Um, I guess. Yeah. Maybe he goes back, you know, he's been talked about going back to Argentina for some time now. Maybe he goes back now financially, you know, he's got a couple million euros in his pocket besides all the millions he made at PSG and he can go have fun in his homeland again and go back to his boyhood club and, you know, maybe play okay if he can stay fit because he does have talent, but um, you know, just to give a quick rundown, I probably should have done this before, but you know, Roma only brought in four players, which we know of Abraham, Patricio, Vigna, and Shamoradov spent decent money on those four. Um, but outgoing from the first team, we had Pastore, Pedro went to Lazio on a free transfer. Of course, Jekko to Inter Milan saves Roma. Uh, those two also save Roma a good amount of money. Uh, Cloyvert to Nice on loan with an option. Uh, Paul Lopez to Marseille with on a one-year loan uh, obligation if certain objectives are met. Wunder a loan to Marseille with an obligation if other you know targets are met. Uh, Florenzi one-year loan with an option, uh, and then Olson yet to be confirmed. Like we said, one-year loan to Sheffield United, and then plenty of the other lessers like the Choriches, Biondas were loaned out. You know, still can't get them off the books. Um, Providence was loaned out. Silar was loaned out. Milanese loan with an option to bring him back, similar to Chiervo, uh, and a whole list of other guys that you can see on um, the write-up that Brent put together. He just put together a long list of all the moves because the outgoing moves from Pinto were, well, it was a lot of work. I mean, it's no surprise he was only able to bring in four guys because of how many guys were on the books, Um, you know, not including those Prima Verite players um, that also had to be moved. So, um, the couple guys that Brandon mentioned still sticking around, Zonzi, Fazio, Santone, are all on the books. Um, you know, to me, Zonzi's like dead man walking in the capital. I can't see him being reintegrated in any way, shape, or form. I mean, he turned down multiple moves. Uh, you know, he asked for similar to what Pasore got, kind of that Buonushita, but then nothing ever seemed to materialize. Who knows if maybe he does find his way out and just to – you know, they, they terminate that contract by mutual consent at some point if they give him money. I don't know. Um, but do you guys see any chance that Fazio, Santone, or Zonzi could be reintegrated back into the locker room now that they're being paid and they're on the team? Or you think they're just going to train by themselves and just collect their, their couple million euros apiece? Uh, Gemma, I'll go to you first in this one. Zonzi, definitely not. Um, and I don't, I don't feel like I even have to explain it too much. Anybody who's been paying attention to all, everything going on with Zonzi, probably knows that there's no chance that he's going to be involved in anything Romo related until he finds a new club um, that actually makes him happy and fits his salary demands, which might be no club in the world. Um, as for uh, Fazio, I mean, I still think that Fazio provided a lot to Roma at the peak of his time here. Um, I could see him being a good emergency backup Uh and the same with Senton. I could see them both being good emergency backups. At the same time, it's not exactly reassuring that apparently no club could fit the same standard of what they wanted to be doing. Um, so I'm not sure that we're going to be able to get much out of them if you know no other club was interested in taking a flyer on them whatsoever. Uh, but I'd have a little more hope for those two than in Zonzi. And of those two, you know, just because Fazio had more of a sustained high than Santon ever did, I guess I would say that, you know, if we need for some reason a fifth center back um, and we don't want to use a Primavera kid, Fazio seems like as good a response as any to that. that we have what about you, Brandon? 
Um, well, I would say Santon just because of the fact that he, I, you know, he's not connected to any drama surrounding the club. You know, you have Nzanzi turning down every club left and right and um, Fazio suing the club apparently to, to force his way back into the first team. So I think, you know, both of those situations into account, I don't, I would be shocked. I feel like there would have to be a tremendous injury crisis before we saw either of them, um, you know, take the field for Roma. And, you know, just having said that, I think Santon is probably the most likely of the three to be integrated in the squad somehow. Um, I sincerely hope that doesn't happen, <laughs> but um, I think, you know, in a pinch, uh, if we, you know, we need some cover, I think, Santon is definitely the most likely of that trio to, to get reintegrated. Yeah, I'd have to agree um, with the Santon just because with the, you know, Fazio makes sense from a center back standpoint, if Roma were to get in trouble there, because there were rumors of bringing somebody else in, but with that lawsuit, like you said, hard to imagine the club bending to his wishes to come back as a club voluntarily. Uh, and Santon, you know, I was a little surprised he was on that frozen out list to begin with, just because we're so young at the backup positions at fullback. So maybe Santone does make a little sense if, you know, Karsdorp or Vina goes down for long-term uh, with some kind of injury, then, you know, if you're stuck playing Reynolds every match, maybe Santone makes a little sense to provide some veteran uh, presence on the right side or on the left side behind Calafiori, who knows. Um, but, you know, I have to applaud Pinto for the work he did getting rid of Pastore, Olsen, and, and many others. Um, you know, who knows what went on with Zonzi. I mean, you thought he, when he was linked with like Marseille and some of these clubs, toward the end of the, the window, maybe he'll go back to France, but, you know, clearly didn't happen. And uh, another year of him on the books. And I think he's out of contract after this year. So he'll be gone one way or another uh, similar situation with Fazio. So, you know, the, the work is being done well by Pinto, you know, if Roma can get through this year, they'll have a little bit more money cleared up next year. And uh, if the buys that he brought in this summer pan out the way they have so far, you know, it's less dead weight, less wasted money on the books. And Roma has a little more versatility in the market going forward, especially if they can do what we all hope they can do and get to the Champions League and have a little more money freed up. And then you hope some of these loans that went out, like the Cloyverts and the Lopez's, the Unders, actually do get bought permanently because, you know, every summer it's the same story with some of these type of players. But, you know, pretty impressive work. Um, you know, we might be back for a, a transfer recap, so we won't get too in-depth here on this episode since we're pushing the hour mark but um uh keep an eye out on the site for a transfer roundtable from the us three and bren uh, he put something together that we're going to hope to publish by thursday or so um you know kind of a quiet week on the site i don't know if you guys have anything planned but uh you know no matches uh, just the national team stuff going on this week so a little quieter on the site than usual uh brandon you have any work coming up that you want to plug for the site um, I am working on a little, you know, ode to the transfer market, uh, piece, but, um, you know, just, I just love the silly season and all the nonsense that comes with it. Um, so I'm working on that, but aside from that, uh, sad that we don't have, you know, any Roma matches look forward to, um, for a little bit and eager for this international break to get over with. What about you, Jim? Yeah, I'll mainly be watching Tammy Abraham highlights this week, so probably not too much from me. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. I want to thank all of you again for listening in. As always, you know, share your thoughts on the message boards on Twitter. Uh, let us know if you agree, disagree with our, some of our takes. And uh, thanks again for listening. 